If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. It says, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that we can come here and worship you, Lord. We ask that you would please open our understanding of your word, that you would uh, clear our, our minds and our thoughts of distraction, Lord. Help us to be able to focus on your word. We ask that you would just... Uh, let your word be proclaimed and help us to understand. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have upon us, Lord. And we ask that you'd please forgive us of our sins. And Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. This here is the second chapter in John's epistle. John, as we know, is an apostle. He was there with Jesus, as we see in chapter 1 of his epistle here. He be, talks about having seen with our eyes, having looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So, as an apostle, he has the authority now as he gives to his students, as he addresses my little children. My little children, he says, which is in the Greek is technon. There's also padia, which is a, an older child. This is technon, which is a young child, a little child. And he's addressing his students, his disciples, us. If you are following Christ, you're a disciple. You're a student. You're wanting to learn more about Christ. So he's addressing his little children as we were young in the faith, as we're all learning and growing and learning more about who God is. First Peter 2, 1 and 3, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all even speaking, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Just as Peter referenced to the Christian as newborn babes, here John calls Christians little children. And he says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. What things is he writing to us? We just, in uh, the first chapter of John, so we only read chapter Two, one, and two, but we're going to reference some of the things that happened in the first chapter as well. Just in the, the above verses, though, in verse eight of chapter one, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John here is dealing with the 
fact that even though we may be Christians and Christ has saved us, we still have to struggle with sin. We still have sin in our lives. We are not yet perfect. There are some that say that, well, once you're a Christian, there is no more sin. You don't sin anymore. You're now perfect. That just isn't true. You are still going to struggle with sin. But praise God, it's a struggle. Charles Spurgeon says that said that the difference between the saint and the sinner, he says, you may drive the swine and the sheep together side by side. They come to some mire and they both fall into it and both stain themselves. But you soon detect the difference in the nature between them. For while the swine lies and wallows with intense gusto, the sheep is up again, escaping as soon as possible from the filth. We know that Christians are, have been referred to as sheep following the good shepherd. That's how we should be in our lives. We should be as the sheep who, yes, we fall into the mire, but we don't want to stay there and wallow in it as the swine. We must get away from it as quickly as possible. We want to get back to Christ. How do we do that, though? If we fall and stumble in our sin, what do we do? He says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. So John's goal is you, his hope is that you wouldn't sin, but he knows that we're weak. You notice, in, he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. He includes himself in that statement. He's not saying, I'm an apostle. I'm above sin. I do no longer sin. He says we. We have an advocate. What's an advocate? The Greek word used for advocate is parakletos. Literally means called to one's side, to one's aid. It's the same word parakletos used to describe the Holy Spirit, a comforter. And then he tells us, who that comforter is. We have the Holy Spirit, but he says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here that title of comforter, one that comes alongside, is given to Jesus Christ. Christ comes alongside us. He is our comforter. He is our advocate. We know advocate is we we know advocate in our, our legal sense. We understand uh, lawyers advocate for their clients. We understand that. And in the same sense Christ advocates for us. He is not only our advocate, but he says he himself is the propitiation. Propitiation is from the Greek hilasterion. That's the act, propitiation, the act of gaining or regaining the former or goodwill of some one or something, specifically an atoning sacrifice. 
So why do we need this advocate, this propitiation? Sorry, I struggle with that word sometimes. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, we've all fallen short. The word for sin in Greek literally means to miss the mark. What mark have we missed? God's law. The only person that ever kept God's law perfectly was Jesus Christ. That's why he is the perfect advocate and he is the perfect propitiation, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the one that can mediate between us and God. We have an advocate. He pleads the cause of another. It's also used to describe the Holy Spirit, which I said uh, the reference for that, if you want to look at that later, is John 14, 16. That's where you'll find that same word, uh, parakletos, used as Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Why does he advocate for us? I believe I asked that question. 1 John 4.9, I believe, has an answer. You can find other places in Scripture, but this is the one that I chose. 1 John 4.9 says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's the word propitiation again. So that brings us to our next point. We're going to talk a little more about the the propitiation. We kind of defined what it was in the Greek, and that it's a sacrifice. Propitiation, as I said, is the act of going... Or regarding the regaining, gaining or regaining the favor of goodwill of some, or specifically an atoning sacrifice. The Greek word is related to the mercy seat. Does anybody remember the mercy seat? Back in Exodus, in Exodus 25:22, says, "And there I will meet with you." This is God speaking. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony 
above everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. How'd the mercy seat work? They had to have a high priest who would kill an animal, a bull, or some other animal. They would sacrifice, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Blood had to be brought and sprinkled on the mercy seat for God to then see them as acceptable. Christ is our mercy seat. That cavern, that expanse, however you want to describe it, that sin has made between us and God, because we cannot come to God on our own. There is no way we can get there. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can have access to God. He had to come into this world. He had to suffer and die on the cross for our sins because He is an eternal being. He is 100% man, 100% God. We as humans could not pay for our sins. We sinned against God the Creator, the One who made all things, the Almighty. For us to be able to pay for our own sins, we have to suffer through all eternity in hell. We cannot do that. And that is the ultimate judgment. If you do not know Christ and you are not knowing Him as your Savior, you will be cast into the lake of fire. That's declared plainly in Scripture. But for those that know Christ, He is your propitiation. He is your advocate. He is your mercy seat. He stands between you and God and He pleads for you. His blood covers our transgressions. He died on the cross. Three days later, He rose again and He ascended into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and we look forward to His return when He'll bring the world into judgment. Christ annuls the power of sin to separate between God and the believer, signifying that He Himself, by the sentence of His death, is the personal means by whom God shows mercy to the sinner who believes on Christ as the one thus provided. That's from Vine's Dictionary of the New Testament Words. This is good news for you and me. This is great news. We should be ecstatic. We have Jesus Christ as our advocate. He's willing to identify with us sinners even though we did not deserve it whatsoever. It was our sin that held Him on the cross. He suffered for you and for me. And what does He do? He pleads for you before the Father. He advocates for you as children of God. When you are in a relationship with Christ, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. As we said before, we will still sin. We will still stumble as that lamb falls into the mud, but it gets back up. What happens? What do we do? It says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Charles Spurgeon says, For you who have been washed in his blood to crucify him afresh, what shall I say to that? You deserve the hottest wrath of God and the deepest hell. But this saith the Lord unto thee, I have blotted out thy sin like a cloud, and like a thick cloud thine iniquities return unto me 
If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Christ is the answer. He's the only answer. He says, not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world there in the latter part of verse 2. In Acts 4.12, didn't write that one down, so pardon me, I have to turn there. Acts 4.12, we're actually going to begin at verse 10. says, let it be known to you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Peter, had, they had earlier healed a man earlier on in this chapter, if you want to go back and read that in Acts. And they are, they're being brought before the uh, rulers and asked, what authority they had to heal this man, Peter and John. If you remember Acts chapter 4. Uh, but he's telling them that uh, whom God raised from the dead, it says, by him this man stands here before you whole. So it wasn't Peter and John that healed the man. It was, it was God that healed him. Verse 11 says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And verse 12, which is what we're alluding to here in the end of says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So when John says that he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world, that is, Christ is the only way of salvation. There is no other means of salvation through any other Religion, cult, whatever, there is no other way except through Christ Jesus. He's the only name given under heaven by which men can be saved. You can't have salvation apart from Christ. And then... Just wanted to touch on also there in chapter 1 of 1 John, at, starting at verse 2, it says, The life was manifested. I'll start at verse 1, sorry. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And the reason they declare it is given, it says that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And verse 4 says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Just as he wrote in chapter 2 at verse 1, These things I write to you so that you may not sin. He's writing unto you, Christian, to let you know that Christ is your advocate. He is your propitiation. He's your mercy seat. He's what stands between you and God. We couldn't ask for any better advocate. We have lawyers and such that they will defend the man because they have to. They may not feel impartial to that person. They may even be in league with that person. But what does it say of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ the righteous is our advocate. He's not partial with no partiality. He's just without prejudice. It's a short section, so that's what I have for you. So we'll conclude with just reading the, the text once again. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You that You came and You died on the cross for us, Lord. We thank You that You rose from the dead, that death could not hold You, that You defeated death. We thank You that You now sit at the Father's right hand, that You mediate for us, that You are our propitiation, Lord, that You are the mercy seat. You are the one that advocates for us. We have no greater high priest than You. We thank You that You plead our cause. We ask that You would help us not to stumble, Lord. We know that we we stumble and fall and fall into temptation, Lord. We need Your help. We need You to keep us on the path of righteousness. We thank You for Your love towards us, Lord. We pray that You would forgive us of our sins. Help us to seek You and glorify You in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.